Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about kind of a loose topic, but I actually think it's a really important one. And that is how do we motivate our kids to fight their anxiety? And so anxiety tends to look really similar for most of the kids that I see and not to be jaded, but like every time I see a new kid in my practice, I've heard all the stories before I've heard all the struggles before it all sounds very, very similar because anxiety has a very strong genetic component and anxiety themes all look very similar. I mean, granted, every kid has kind of like their unique little twist to the anxiety theme, but I really don't hear any unique anxiety themes because they're all really, really similar. The thing that is different though, are the family dynamics. So how you interact with your child is different for each family and how your child interacts with their anxiety, which I know that sounds totally weird, but kids are different. So their personalities are different and your parenting is different. And when you put that in the mix, then anxiety looks really different for each family and for each kid. So I want to talk to you today about how to build up a fighter in your house, how you can empower your child and what things that you can be doing and your child can be doing to not be a victim to anxiety. That's a pretty good topic, right? Because that's kind of key to everything. And that's why I thought I'd talk about it today. Because as you know, if you listen to me at all, I have three anxious kids and how they deal with it and how their little personalities kind of interact with the anxiety looks really different for each one of my children and how I interact with them as I get older and wiser <laughs> makes a big difference too. So I want to talk to you about what you can be doing when you're interacting with your child to help enforce that empowerment and that fight type of mentality. So I'm going to be talking about basically three things. If I kind of break out what I'm going to be talking about. So first I'm going to go over your reactions to your child's anxiety and how we play a part in whether we exasperate our child's anxiety or whether we make it better. And then I'm going to talk to you about how to talk to your child about anxiety so that they can kind of have one leg up on their fight. And then in the second half of this podcast, when we return, we're going to be talking about how to set up challenges and how to do therapeutic approaches in your home. So kind of a three-parter, if you want to think about it that way. So let's first talk about you. (laughs) So if you haven't listened to my podcast episode a long time ago, actually, on how to keep your own anxiety out of your parenting, you should probably listen to that first because that is a really good, important podcast. It's podcast number nine. So in my early days, (laughs) this is only podcast 34, but the very, very beginning, because it's really key that you learn how to keep your own anxiety out of your parenting because your anxious parenting style can exasperate your anxious child, which obviously makes sense, right? So my first point is to keep your reactions cool, calm, and collect and fake it till you make it because 
when you have a really young child and even older children, I do talk about this in episode nine, they look to you as a reference. And so if you're freaking out because you're anxious about something, they're going to be anxious as well. Or if they're already anxious about something, and then you're really anxious that they're anxious or you're anxious as well. It's a lot of anxious is in there. Then they're going to, they're going to get even more nervous. I mean, obviously that makes sense, right? I mean, try to think of an example of when I completely ruin my kids. Hold on. It'll only take me a second. <laughs> so I think I talk about this in episode nine, but my anxiety, like one of my anxiety themes is like a fear of choking. So having my first child had GERD and she choked on everything. And she had a lot of oral defensiveness because she has sensory processing disorder. And so she choked nonstop and I already had a choking anxiety theme. And so I was a horrible wreck because I was really nervous that she was always going to choke. And then, you know, it was validated because she always choked. And so it was, it was a nightmare and I had to watch my anxiety as, you know, then I had a second kid and a third kid because I was constantly telling them like, you know, you can't sleep with that necklace because it can choke you or, you know, cut your food up in smaller pieces because, you know, you can choke on it or, you know, take smaller bites because that was too big of a bite and you might choke. <laughs> Sounds horrible, right? Like totally neurotic. And I had to be aware of that and put my own anxiety in check. And so instead of saying like, Hey, take that necklace off at night. You can't sleep with it. It could choke. It could choke you. I would say, just take your necklace off. We don't wear necklaces to bed. And so I had to watch my language. That's just a very quick example. Like I'm sure I can think of a zillion more times where I completely made my kids more anxious than they needed to be. <laughs> but I do hear that in my practice as well. You know, I'll have parents who have anxieties about germs or about bugs. And I live in the desert, so I live in Arizona. And I've had lots of parents tell me, you know, oh, well, we just make sure that they always wear shoes in the house because we don't want them to step on a scorpion. And granted, yes. We do get scorpions and that is kind of a problem, but I think when we highlight things like that and we really bring it to our child's awareness, you know, are we creating some more anxiety where it doesn't need to be there? And so we're giving them some safety behavior. Safety behavior is like a fancy name for like a crutch. Instead of facing our anxieties, we, we find ways to avoid it or accommodate it. And I mean, sometimes it's legitimate, you know, like you don't really want to get stung by a scorpion, but to like, what level are we, are we being preventative? If that makes any sense at all. So watch your own tone and what you're setting for your kids. And also moving on from that theme, there are, there are two things that we do as parents. And so some parents that I work with, and I'm sure I've done this as well, like we'll, we'll confirm that the anxiety is legitimate. So we'll, we'll either agree with it because we're an anxious person or we want to be understanding. And so we over-validate it. Like, yeah, I know it is really scary to be away from you too. And I miss you too when you go to school. And I'm really sad when you're not with me as well, but I have to go to work and you have to go to school. Well, when I say that to my child in that way, I've just over-validated the anxiety, but I haven't really done anything to empower them. I just say, yeah, I feel that way too. It's a really horrible feeling. And now we're both feeling bad. So you want to be careful with how 
you connect with your child and empathize with their anxiety. Because a lot of times parents will come into my practice and they will kind of defend their child's anxiety. They'll say, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's scary to sleep by yourself. I don't like sleeping by myself. Like when my husband goes away, I don't, I feel really scared too. And I want to sleep in my child's room and the child's hearing that because, you know, maybe they're in the, in the session or the parent conveys that, oh, your dad's going away. So can you sleep with me? Because it's scary. And I don't like to sleep alone either. Well, if it's something you're working on, that's really not going to help. If you're just like, Hey, we're all going to have a family bed and it's not a big deal. And yeah, I feel scared. She feels scared. That's fine. And that's not a big deal, but you're really not empowering your child to fight their anxiety. I'm just thinking of random examples and you can apply this to pretty much any scenario. So on the flip farther end of the spectrum, you have a different type of parent who doesn't validate or empathize with the child's anxiety but they discount it. And so they might say, you're fine. Or look, there's nothing to be scared of. It's fine. Or you know what? Every kid has to go to school. No kid likes it. You need to go. Or, you know, nobody likes going to bed, but you need to do it. You're safe. You're fine. And it could be coming from a really good place. And most of the time it is, but what it does to the child is lets them know, okay, you didn't get, you do not get my anxiety. And so I'm not going to tell you what I'm anxious about anymore. And then we're going to be dealing with a child who isn't going to tell you what they're scared about because every time they tell you that they're scared about something, you discount it and you tell them that they shouldn't be afraid. Well, yeah, I know. I don't want to be afraid, but I am. So what do I do with that? So we have to watch our reactions. We have to not over empathize with our child to the point where we're like agreeing with the anxiety, but on the flip side, we don't want to discount it and dismiss it before we even understand or sit with the anxiety for a little while. I know you're like, Oh my gosh, Natasha. So we can't do this, but we can't do that. And they're, I know it's so confusing, but it's like that middle ground. And none of us hit the middle ground 24 seven. I know I totally don't. I swing to one side, I swing to the other. And I'm sure that you do too, but it's good to at least know what would be the most effective for your child. So that's where I'm going with that. The last thing I want to talk about when we're talking about just your reactions is you don't want to team up with your child's anxiety. You want to team up with your child. And so, so many times I read or I get emails or I see in threads in in Facebook groups or in my own private practice, I see very well-intentioned and loving parents enabling their children's anxiety because they don't feel like their child should struggle. And I totally get that from an emotional standpoint and having three anxious kids, you don't want to see your kids struggle. So you don't want to see them screaming and having to go to school anyway, or feeling nauseous because they're so nervous and you want to take away the trigger. You want to take away what's making them anxious. If they're anxious about going to school, just take away school. If they're anxious about sleeping in their room, then just have them sleep with you. And if they're anxious about going to the party, just don't have them go to the party. And if they're anxious about taking a bath, then just have them take a shower. And if they're anxious about blah, 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 then just have them do blah, blah, blah. The problem with that, when you look at the big picture, is when you continually enable the anxiety and you you avoid or you give in and you get them back to their comfort zone, they never develop any skills to fight their anxiety. Now, having said that, I know there's people out there who are listening and they're like, Natasha, we just can't get her to school. 
You know, I mean, we really tried, but we can't. And she's happy or she's homeschooled. That's fine. I'm not judging. You know, anxiety can get pretty intense. It can get pretty debilitating. And you do have to do what you have to do in order to function. And that's true. You just want to always have in the back of your head how you can raise a fighter and how you don't want to always enable the anxiety because it will balloon and get out of control. So let's talk about how to talk to your child and see how we can work from that end. So I always frame anxiety to children as a battle. So whenever I have a kid in my office, I had many, many kids just last week in my office. And this is what I say to them when I first meet them. I tell them, look, anxiety, it runs in families. And so just like you got your blue eyes or you got your blonde hair from your mom, anxiety runs in families too. And so if somebody in your family, maybe your grandma, your aunt, your uncle, or somebody we don't even know who is related to you had anxiety, you're more likely to get it too. So it's not your fault. It's just something that you're born with. And sometimes it happens. And then I tell them, but I've seen a zillion kids in here who have had anxiety because I've been in my office forever. And I've noticed that there's two types of kids with anxiety and then their eyes get big and they stare at me and they're like, what's she going to say? And I say, one kid is bullied by their anxiety. Their anxiety tells them, don't do that. And they say, okay, anxiety. And their anxiety says, you cannot do that. And they say, okay, anxiety. And their anxiety gives them all these bad thoughts and they just believe them. And they're like, oh gosh, that's horrible. And on and on it goes. And they never fight their anxiety and they snuggle up to their anxiety and their anxiety never leaves them. And their whole life is full of what ifs and worries and stomach aches. And then I say, but there's this other group of kids that I work with and they are the fighters. And they say, you know what? I might have anxiety and that does suck. And I really hate it. But just because I genetically got anxiety doesn't mean I have to be a victim to it because I can fight back. And when I fight back, guess what happens? And then I wait for them to answer and they'll say, it gets smaller. And I'm like, that's right. When you fight back and you say, you know what, anxiety, I know you're here, but I don't really like it that you're here and I'm not going to listen to you. And I know that you lie to me a lot and you tell me to worry a lot and you tell me to avoid a lot, but it's just because you want to get fed and you want to grow bigger in my life, but I don't want you in my life. And so I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to fight back. And when I fight back, you're going to get smaller and you're going to be so small and so tiny that I can barely hear you. And then I'm going to laugh and ignore you even when I do hear you because you are so insignificant in my life. And so then I turn to the child and I say, now, which child do you want to be? Do you want to be the one on the left or the one on the right? Because if you want to be the one on the right, I can teach you how to be that child. And then... Most kids, (laughs) not always, but most kids will say, Miss Natasha, I want to be the fighter. And I'll say, that's great. You know what? Because you don't have to win every battle, but at least let me show you how to show up for the fight. And that's what I do because you want to engage your child. So talk to your child like that and get them engaged. Because if they don't see that there's actually a, a war that they're not really a part of, because they're not even battling, then they're not going to ever learn how to fight anxiety. I really don't take the warm, fuzzy approach. And I know there are actually a lot of other 
child therapists out there that take maybe more of a softer, warmer approach, you know, that your brain is your friend and it's just a little hyperactive. I kind of take a battle approach (laughs) and it's just a different approach. It's really effective though. I have three warriors at home who are constantly battling their anxiety and I have kids that come into my practice and once I frame it this way, they make incredible progress. If they're a fighter, some kids are really not fighters and they have a victim mentality and it's harder to motivate them. But a lot of kids want to be fighters. And so even if they don't innately have that in them, when you frame it that way, they get a little bit more fired up. So lay out the battle and frame it like it's a war and that they don't have to win every battle, but they have to show up for the fight. This goes hand in hand with naming anxiety. I'm such a big fan of naming anxiety, like most people are who work with kids. So definitely name your anxiety so that you can frame it like it's a battle. And then you want to get them to see that every anxiety situation is a battle in the war. So when they go to bed at night and it's dark and it's quiet and it's scary and their anxiety is like, hey, it's dark, it's quiet and it's scary and you're all by yourself and I think somebody's going to come in here and kill you. Do you hear that noise downstairs? I think that's probably a burglar. Then you want your child to say, oh, I guess this is a battle. I guess my dictator, my Mr. Worry, my worry cloud, whatever you want to call it, is showing up and he wants to battle. And so you want your child to have that recognition in that moment. Oh, here's another anxiety battle. And then you want to get them to fight back. So how am I going to fight back my anxiety? And I talk a lot about that decoding anxiety. Um, I talk about that a lot in my book, Anxiety Sucks, A Teen Survival Guide. I don't know why I said teen. I'm really bad at naming things because... It's so annoying because I called my website anxioustoddlers.com and now, you know, it's not about toddlers. It's about any child with anxiety or OCD. So I hate the name of my website. And then I name my book, Anxiety Sucks, A Teen Survival Guide. But parents email me all the time and say, I read this to my 10-year-old or my 10-year-old read it and it was great. And so then I'm like, why did I call it that? And then even adults say, hey, I read your book and actually that really helped me. So totally annoyed with the way I name things. But in my book, I talk about how to figure out anxiety's tricks and turn it on him or her, whatever you want to personify it as. And my course, my e-course, How to Crush Anxiety, I talk about that as well. Like, how do you figure out anxiety's tricks and then teach your child how to combat it? So you want to decode anxiety for your child and say, you know, anxiety is going to lie to you. Anxiety is going to do this. And that helps. So once you kind of got your reactions in check, you're not enabling anxiety. You're seeing that you need to help your child fight it. You're naming anxiety for your child and you're setting up the scenario that it's a battle that they're going to have to fight. Then I want to talk to you about setting up challenges. So up next, we'll talk about what that is and how you incorporate it in your daily life. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay, welcome back. So you play a very important part in your child's mental health. Because even if you take your child to a therapist and they see them once a week or twice a week, if you're really, really doing a lot of therapy, 
It doesn't matter if you're not doing things at home. And I tell the parents that I work with that exact thing. I'm like, I can set up the foundation. This is what I normally tell families that come and see me. I say, I'm going to lay out the foundation. I'm going to teach your child what is anxiety, how it works, and how they can fight it. And I do that in my book anyway. So if you're far, far away, that does that. And the e-course teaches you how to do that as well. But lay it out for your child and say, this is what anxiety is. And then I tell people that come and see me that I'm going to show you how to battle it, but you're going to have to battle it day in and day out at home. Just like when I'm treating OCD and I do exposure response prevention exercises or what I call like OCD challenges in my office, I say, look, I'm like, I'm just showing you, I'm like the trainer and I'm going to show you how to do the exercise, but then you need to go and do it at home. Same thing with anxiety, same thing with OCD. So when your child is having an anxiety struggle, and that will happen many, many times a day, probably if your house is like mine, you want to always think about how you can help your child move towards the anxiety and not away from it. So let me give you some weird examples. And I have a zillion from my own life. So I have one actually that just happened yesterday. And you're going to think I'm a horrible parent. So that's okay. (laughs) It's whatever. My youngest, so I've got three, and they're all changing ages. So right now they're five, seven, and 13. And next month, they're all going to be six. Oh my gosh, it's so weird to say that. Six, eight, and 14. And as they age, so do I. So that's something to think about. Anyway, so my youngest, who's not getting, who's not that young anymore, she has been having a bug phobia. I think I've talked about this in some previous podcasts. And, you know, I mean, nobody likes bugs, but she really started to have like a pretty intense bug phobia. I'm pretty sure I talked about this maybe last week and maybe the week before, because I told you I was going to do a challenge with her if you listen to me like weekly. But for those that didn't hear that or not, don't listen to me all the time, I will tell the story again. So she's got, she's had some major anxiety themes and they, they come and then we battle them and then they go. So I noticed that when she's taking a bath, she like freaks out and she doesn't want me to put the water in too deep. And I'll say, pull the plug to like drain the, the bath when she's done and she'll refuse. And at first I thought it was oppositional, which you should go back to episode 23, when I talk about anxiety and OCD and how it causes poor behavior and meltdown. So a lot of times kids look like they're refusing to do something and they look really oppositional when there's a fear behind it. So I would say, pull the plug. And it looked like she was stalling and ignoring me. And I'd be like, pull the plug. It's time to get out of the bath. Eventually I figured out that it's an anxiety. It took like this child therapist a really long time to figure that out because I don't get my own kids. And So eventually I figured out that she was afraid that spiders and bugs are going to come up through the drain. And I think actually I discovered recently when we did the challenge, and I'll explain that in a minute, that I think she thought they were actually going to get like in her private parts and stuff. So it was like a really weird detailed type of anxiety. So as a mom, I could have one, enabled the anxiety, and I could have said, well, you know what, from now on, just you come out of the bathroom or you come out of the bathtub and then I'll pull the plug for you and you'll be fine. And that would have taken care of it. She wouldn't have been freaking out and it would have been fine. Now, a long, long time ago, I remember she had a problem just with baths in general because she'd see like a black speck and she thought it was a bug. Like any, you know, like baths actually get like little dots and stuff in there. I mean, things float around and she would freak out. So, but that's a 
that's really just a tangent. That really doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about. But to show you how like sometimes these themes build over time and you're not even aware of it. So, so I could just accommodate the anxiety and give that anxiety a big high five and be like, yeah, let's avoid, you know, I, I could easily pull the plug for her. That's not a big deal. So there's that. Or I could go on the opposite end of the continuum that we talked about before. And I could say, you know, suck it up, girl. (laughs) Well, I never talked to my kids that way, but I could say, um, what's the big deal? Pull the plug, pull the plug. And I could get angry with her and get frustrated and I could punish her or, you know, be really firm and just force her to do it. So kind of the other end that we talked about, or I could just ignore the problem and just be like, gosh, her anxiety is so annoying. You know, every time she takes a bath, she freaks out and I could just, it could just be nothing. I don't do anything good or bad. I just observe it like an observer or don't, don 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 This is the good part. I could be an active participant in helping empower her to fight her anxiety. Yeah, I could. And how do you do that? Well, I say to her, you know what? You're worry cloud because that's what she calls it. Although actually yesterday she told me that she would rather call it anxiety, even though she can't even pronounce anxiety because she's five and she has a kind of a speech issue going on right now. Anxiety. I'm trying to think how she says it in in city, Eh, whatever. She can't pronounce it, but I think she feels like she doesn't want to call it a worry cloud anymore. But anyway, when we did this, it was a worry cloud. So I said, look, your worry cloud is bothering you. And it's telling you that bugs are going to come up from the dream, which is impossible because you know, they're not going to swim through the water that's going down to go back up. That can't happen. But anxiety doesn't make sense. And your worry cloud loves to lie to you. And so we need to face our fears. So I do try to rationalize with kids and give them what I call green thoughts to counteract their red thoughts. So if you took my course, you know what I'm talking about. Or actually, if you read my book, you know what I'm talking about too, because I talk about red thoughts and green thoughts, but that's not good enough. So I always do that, but then I'm very big in the exposure component exposure doesn't only work with OCD. It works really well with anxiety. So I said to her, let's do a bug challenge. Now this is going to sound really weird, but I said, what if, you know, I found a bug and I put it in the bathtub and you can swim with the bug. And she was like, oh my gosh. She said, mom, that is so gross. Are you kidding me? And I said, you can earn a challenge prize. And so in my house, we do that. We do a lot of challenge prizes. So If I see that their anxiety is popping up, we talk about what a challenge would look like. We come up with the opposite behavior that would actually poke our anxiety and prompt and trigger our anxiety. And then they earn prizes for facing their fears and facing their anxiety. And so she picked these hatchable things online and we ordered them and they came in the mail and um, I got them and I put them on the counter and she was begging me to take a bath with a bug. Yep. See? So I went into my disgusting garage (laughs) that has a million bugs and I found a dead cricket because she has been afraid of crickets. And so I said to her, okay, I have a cricket in my hand. So we went up to the bathroom and I said, I have a cricket in my hand. It is dead and I want to put it in your hand. That's how we're going to start our challenge. And I do this all the time in my office. I have bugs in Ziploc bags. I have a weird job. And I have a lot of kids that come in with bug phobias and this is how we handle it. I don't do anything that a child is not willing or able to do. And so it is never a forced situation. I think that's really important for you to hear is that I'm never suggesting that you 
bully your kid into facing their fears or you make them do something that you can tell they're petrified in doing. So, you know, she had to be a very willing participant. So she put her hands out and I put this pretty big dead cricket in her hand and she's like, okay, take it out. It's okay, mom, I did it. Go ahead. And I was like, no, part of the challenge is that you have to hold it until you're not really bothered by it anymore. And so I held her little hands underneath so that she had my support. And then as she got comfortable, I took my hands away and then she kind of talked about it. And I said, you know, and then I touched it and then she touched it. And then I got her to flip it back and forth in her hands. And then she petted it (laughs) kind of a weird way. And then she felt okay. She was kind of bored with holding it. And that took a while. That took maybe about um, 15 minutes. And then we got her bath ready. And I said, okay, how do you feel about me putting it in your bath? And we do a one to 10 scale. This is very much, this is pure like ERP, exposure response prevention. It's a type of therapy and it's very effective. And so eventually she was okay. And she said, okay, she went to her bath and I had her go in the bath first. And then I said, is it okay if I put the bug in now? So I'm always asking permission for my kids. And then she said, it's fine. And then she put it in and then it took some time for her to get used to it. And then she was kind of covering her body because she didn't want it to get near her body. And then I would encourage her. I'd say, hmm, I wonder if the worry cloud would really like it if you push the cricket near your body. And so eventually she built up to that. So she did great. She came out. She was very proud of herself. And then I reinforced it. And I say, wow, you know, you are a rock star. And I said, you know what? You are my awesome fighter. I am super proud of you. But you know what? That doesn't even matter because you should be proud of yourself because you may have a worry cloud but you crush it every single time. And she got really, really excited and built up. She came running down the stairs and she was like, dad, dad, I took a challenge and I'm not afraid of bugs anymore. And she was very, very proud of herself. And you could tell like her self-esteem was lifted and she felt, she felt invincible. And so fast forward a few hours later, we're getting into the garage to go out to eat. And she comes out from the shadows of the garage and she goes, mom, should I throw this cricket in the garbage? And she was holding another dead cricket in our garage, which even was gross for me to look at. (laughs) And I was like, and my husband looked at me wide eyed. He's like, who is this kid? Because when you help kids face their challenges, that the success of that generalizes and it sticks forever. So it's not like, okay, well, she had to do this horrible thing. And then she wasn't able to generalize it. Often when you do challenges a couple of times, that that success sticks and it also generalizes to other areas. It empowers them to fight their fears in all areas, especially if you frame it that way. And you say, remember when you're afraid of the bug and you crush that, you can crush it this as well. So that's an example of a very specific way to set up challenges when you have like a phobic situation. Now, when she was afraid to go poop by herself, <laughs> I'm sure she'll really appreciate these podcasts when she's like 20, but you don't know her name. So you don't know which kid I'm talking about, but I would say, okay, I'll walk with you to the bathroom and but I'm going to stand right outside. And then I, as that became successful and we had like a poop challenge box, then I would say, okay, I'm going to stand in the hall, but I'm not going to go all the way in with you. And then we walked, we worked up to, okay, I'm going to stand, I'm going to sit on the couch but you can leave the door open and I can hear you. So my point is you want to find that sweet spot where your child can do a little bit out of their comfort zone. So like if they're afraid to go to a party and they just, they want to avoid and they don't want to go, then you can say something like, well, 
I can go to the party with you. And so that's better than them avoiding the party completely. Or if you have a child that says, you know, I don't want to go to dance class, you know, dance class is too scary. And maybe you sign them up for dance class and they were excited about dance class, but they don't want to go because they're nervous. Then you might say something like, you know what? You don't have to go and do dance class, but you know, since I already paid, can you please just come with me and we'll sit there and let's watch the other girls. So you take one little small baby step towards their fear. And then once she's comfortable, she might say, you know what? Dance wasn't that bad. And then you might say, how about next week we come and we can sit and watch it again. And then the week after you might say, you know what? Maybe you want to go and just join them for the beginning. And so you're slowly encouraging them to face their fears. And then I always highlight to kids, we can stay home, but you might as well give your worry cloud a high five because you're growing it bigger. And that's okay. If you want to grow it bigger, that's your deal. But I just want you to know that we are growing it bigger by not doing that. And that just helps them understand whether the worry cloud is being fought or whether the worry cloud is winning in that battle. And I say to my kids, you know, some battles are going to be won by the worry cloud and some battles are going to be won by you, but I just want you to show up for the fight. And so I try to spin any situation as a win. So even if I have a child that is afraid to sleep over at someone's house and then they go and at midnight they call and they want to be picked up, I would pick up that child and I would say, I am so proud of you because you could have listened to your worry cloud and not have gone at all, but you fought your worry cloud and you said, you know what, worry cloud, I'm going to try this because I really want to hang out with my friend and I know you're ruining this fun for me. So I'm going to ignore you and I'm going to go and I'm going to try to sleep over and you made it to midnight. So you should be really proud of yourself because every time you fight your worry cloud, it gets smaller. And next time, who knows, you might make it till three or four, or you might even make it till morning. You don't know. So don't frame any of their anxiety situations as a loss. Look for the win and frame everything as a win. So I can go to dance with you and you can just go and watch. And then when you leave, you say, you know, that was really brave of you because instead of just forgetting about dance, you went and you, you went and you watched and you got to see what it was all about and that you should be really proud of. So even if mentally you're thinking, I got to pick my kid up at midnight because they can't even sleep at someone's house. I mean, how dysfunctional is that? And then you pick them up and you're like, you know, I told you, you couldn't do this. I told you, you weren't ready. And you know, what made you so scared? Why do you have to call me in the middle of the night? I mean, what was the big deal? So all that shaming and blaming and framing it in a negative, it's not going to make your child feel like they're up to the, to the battle again. But if you pick your child up and you're like, you know what? I am so proud of you for going and trying. And that is awesome. And that's what it's about because people don't learn how to ride a bike overnight. You have to get back on the bike and back on the bike. And eventually you're riding and that's what you're doing with your worry cloud, or that's what you're doing with your dictator. or That's what you're doing with Mr. Worry is you are constantly trying to push him further and further away. So he doesn't impact your life. So you can see like how we talk to our kids makes a big difference, right? Because one of them sounded really empowering. And my other voice, when I was condemning my child was very disempowering. So your voice is a big part of whether your child feels empowered to fight their anxiety. So I feel like it's really important to constantly highlight their wins and be that empowering voice and find that one little baby step that they can do, even if they're avoiding 
Find one little baby step that you can get them to do and then celebrate, and that will be very motivating. So I hope that that helps a little bit. I hope that inspires you to be inspiring to your children. That's kind of pretty cool. And let me know how it goes. You know, feel free to shoot me an email and let me know if any of the things that I'm talking about with you are resonating. And if you're having like an aha moment where you're like, oh my gosh, Natasha, we tried that and that worked. I love to hear that. (laughs) It's nice. I do get emails from people periodically just saying, hey, we tried what you were talking about in your podcast. And I just want to say thank you. And I love those because it's like, oh, that really helps somebody. If you want, you can join my private Facebook group. Um, And there's probably a link below in the show notes or on my website. And we celebrate wins all the time. And I love that group because it's so uplifting. So every Friday we do like what our challenge and what our win is. And it's such an uplifting thread on Facebook because you just see all the celebrations of the small little baby steps that parents are doing with their kids. And they're celebrating everything because you want positivity is contagious. And so if you're excited and you're saying, you know, woohoo, you know, I am so excited that today, you know, they ate one thing that was different than what they normally eat. Or today, you know, they stayed one hour longer than they normally would at school. Look for the positive and your child will look for the positive too. Or eventually it can be contagious. It just takes time. So I hope you're having a great day. I hope you're having a great week. I want to thank those that have left reviews recently. I really appreciate it. Some people have left super nice reviews. And I want to thank Yael for a really nice message on my page. And um, your review actually did get through. And your words, uh, your kind words were, were very much appreciated. And I do wish, I wish some people, including you, lived in Arizona because there's so many nice people that I would love to go and hang out with. And I get comments from amazing people who actually get me and get my humor <laughs> because, you know, most people don't get my humor and they don't get me. So, and that, but the world is a big place and there's a lot of people who actually get me. And I wish I could just go and hang out with you if you were right next door, but you're not, but I want to say thank you anyway. If you have an extra moment and you are feeling giving, you can just hit a star on iTunes. You don't even have to leave a review and let other people know how you're liking this podcast. That really does help me. And it helps other parents realize, you know, that maybe this podcast has something to offer them. If you're feeling super giving, you can spend 30 seconds and write a review. Those completely, sadly, well, it's not sad, but they make my day. They honestly, literally make my day. I live for reviews because it's just nice feedback. It makes me feel good. (laughs) I guess that's kind of sad, but if you have the time, I appreciate it. And until next time, I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you later. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.